0: Well, good morning, church, and as we prepare to listen um, to the word that God has for us this morning, if you would just close your eyes for a second. Let me just offer a brief prayer. Father, may it be true. May it be good. May it be pleasing. May it be yours. Amen. There was um, a slogan that I, for some reason, I don't know why, but I heard this recently, and um, it kind of, it was a little jingle, and some of you that are, have a few more years under you, you might remember this, but it sounds kind of like this. little bit older now. Maybe, I'll, maybe this jogs some of your memories. Be all that you can be. Get an edge on life in the what? The army. Sorry. Be all that you can be. Get an edge on life. And slogans are those things that when you hear them, just like some of you that were watching the Super Bowl last week and you were seeing those commercials and they were using like little jingles or um, you know, they'd have dancing monkeys or weird sounds that are kind of, you, you remember after the fact. Slogans are something that can be really catchy and memorable and inspiring even. They can be an effective way to communicate. And actually, the U.S. Army has used this strategy for a long time to um, recruit, and other, other organizations have done similar things. And slogans are good as long as they lead you to do something, to act, to move in a different way. And I was thinking about this because does God use slogans? Does God ever use slogans? What do you think? Take a chance. There's no right or wrong answer here. Some of you are like, I'm not sure if I want to say anything. I might be wrong. Maybe he doesn't. Maybe he does. Well, I think he does to a degree. Maybe not quite like the army does But God does make promises all throughout his word. Promises that are designed to inspire you to action. Promises that are designed to cause us to move. Now in this series we've been asking a whole series of questions about moving from here to there or getting from where we are now to where God would have us to be the primary question that we've been looking at is, who does God want you to be out there, say, five years from now? Who does God want you to become? Not just who do we want to become, but who does God want you to be or call you to be? And one of the ways, as we're trying to move from here to there, is that, It always involves movement. We've looked at a whole bunch of different questions. Pastor Amy last week led us uh, very smartly through asking a lot of the what-if questions, those doubts that we have. And then she ended, instead of with what-if, what if God is, and then leading us to see that, yes, it is indeed God who is able. Able to move us to where we want to be. One of the things that as I was listening to the message last week, I thought it would be very helpful for us to kind of dig deeper into just one story in the Bible. And so we're going to dig into the story of Gideon. Gideon is found in the book of Judges, um, roughly Judges 6 through 8. We're going to focus on the first part of Judges 6 this morning. Because if we're on this journey, and we truly want to move to where. God wants us to move to and to become who God desires us to be, we need to stay close to God along the way. See, sometimes we can be moving. Our feet might be moving, we might be feeling like we're making progress, but suddenly we realize, where is God? I've been doing all this work, I've been making all this movement and God is nowhere to be found. As we see throughout the Bible, we don't automatically. This is where we're wrong. We don't automatically stay close to God. If anything, we tend to do the very opposite unless we are intentional about sticking close to God. We don't just fall into closeness by accident. Instead, it's going to require us to change how we see ourselves and how we see God. And I think that the story of Gideon is actually a really great story. It is one of those stories that will encourage us to make the kinds of shifts that we need to make. And if there is a slogan in this story, it's something like, more than you can be. That God is saying, I'm making you into more than you thought you could be. More than you think or believe you are capable do you believe that? Sometimes I believe that. Sometimes I have doubts about that, like you might from time to time. I'm making you into more than you thought you could be. See, you are what God has to work with. And I think that that's actually an amen thing, that you are how God created you to be. He made you. He wants to work With you, in partnership, not at cross purposes. He knows who you are, and he already knows what you are capable of. And it's often far more than we give ourselves credit for. So what is our problem? What's our problem? Why do we doubt God, ourselves, and our place in the world? Does anyone have courage Right now, to offer up one of the things or reasons why you would tend to doubt yourself. Yeah, Ezra. Because of past failures? Because of past failures. So true. Anyone else? Ezra took mine. Ezra took yours? Okay. Yeah? Because of how other people see you? Yeah, sometimes that can cause us to dot ourselves. Ken, what were you going to say? You were going to say the same thing? Okay, oh, so she stole yours too? Okay, man, we're batting two for two right now. Yeah? Because of how you want to see yourself? Okay. Yeah? So far, we're, we're, we're a really great baseball team right now. We're a, batting 1,000. A and maybe you don't think that you're capable. Or maybe you haven't considered that God could or would want to use little old me, little old you. That's why we're bringing this somewhat overwhelming idea of moving from here to there down to one story. Because Gideon is, he is a guy. He's actually a young farmer living in an age of desperation And getting is proof that God can actually use who you are and transform you into more than you think you can be, into more than you think you are. If you have a Bible, you can open up to Judges 6. I'm going to open by just reading the first five verses to kind of set the stage for us a little bit, a little bit of the context of what's going on. Um, Just before Judges 6, the previous judge, we've actually looked at her before, is Deborah. And Deborah was... Uh, leading the nation of Israel, and then she dies, and Israel goes back into some bad habits. Let me read the verse, starting with verse 1. The Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight. Okay, not a good start. So the Lord handed them over to the Midianites for seven years. The Midianites were so cruel that the Israelites made hiding places for themselves in the mountains, caves, And strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, marauders from Midian, Amalek, and the people of the east would attack Israel, camping in the land and destroying crops as far away as Gaza. They left the Israelites with nothing to eat, taking all the sheep, goats, cattle, and donkeys. These enemy hordes, coming with their livestock and tents, were as thick as locusts. They arrived on droves of camels, too numerous to count, and they stayed until the land was stripped bare. This is an age of rebellion for God's people And rebellion leads to desperate times and desperate measures, and the people are running scared, legitimately so. The Midianites are no small thing, and they are very powerful. And survival is consuming their thoughts. I found this picture. Um, This is what a locust swarm... I know it's kind of a little bit hard to see. This is just a little bit of a locust storm that's actually happening right now on our planet. In fact, there is a locust storm in... Uh, Eastern Africa that is so thick, they estimate somewhere in the order of 365 billion locusts. It's so big and thick that when they've taken satellite photos of that area it looks like these giant clouds all over the area. And they are eating everything and they are causing the people to panic right now in our world. This is the image that God's word wants us to draw to in this moment. It's bad. Things are going terrible. And the Midianites are back for revenge about 200 years after they were almost destroyed by the Israelites. And they come like these swarms of locusts. And it says for seven years. Now if you're a farmer, whether it's fruit trees, vines, fields, and everything is meant on surviving from year to year, harvesting the fruit of the earth. Surviving one year of no crops is hard. Now try doing that again, and again, and again, and again. Desperate times, desperate measures. Let me read verses 6 through 10. So Israel was reduced to starvation, By the Midianites. Then they cried out to the Lord for help. Why did it take so many years? That's what I that's one of those questions I have. Took so long. And when they cried out to the Lord because of Midian, the Lord sent a prophet to the Israelites. That doesn't really help the situation too much. He said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says, I brought you up out of slavery in Egypt. I rescued you from the Egyptians and from all who oppressed you. I drove you out, I drove out your enemies and gave you their land. I told you, I am the Lord your God. You must not worship the gods of the Amorites, in whose land you now live. But you've not listened to me. This is what God does at first for them. And this is where enter stage left Gideon, a young farmer. And he is in a certain place, those of you that like to fill in things on the back of your bulletin, this is the place that Gideon starts from, a place of survival. It is not the place that God wants you to remain. It is not the place where you want to end up, but it's where he starts from. It's legitimate. He's just trying to get through the day. Have any, has anyone been in that place, that place of survival? You're just trying to get through the day to make it to the next day. You're slogging through. You're trying to do the best that you can, moment to moment, survival to survival, maybe paycheck to paycheck. For Gideon, he is motivated by one thought, and it might be the same thought that motivates you when you're in those places of survival. I need to put food on the table. And that's what he goes about doing, trying to figure out whatever it takes to put food on the table for his family. And it says he's secretly threshing grain in a wine press. He's so afraid, actually, they're all afraid of the Midianites. See, threshing was that process that normally you would do out and you, you know the wind would, would be involved and all of these things, and they're, they're reduced to doing it underground in secret. He's motivated. He's hiding from the Midianites. He wants to provide for his family. And this is at the very time This place of survival when God interrupts him. And this is what God says. Greetings, mighty warrior. The Lord is with you. He's threshing. He's threshing in there. And suddenly the angel of the Lord says, Greetings, mighty warrior. The Lord is with you. Maybe he looks around. Who, me? Are you talking to me, God? And maybe he's confused or maybe he's in disbelief. His first instinct is to start peppering the Lord with a whole bunch of questions. A bunch of questions to try to figure out what is actually going on. And some of the questions that Gideon asks... Some of the objections that he offers to God, actually, when we start to read them, they sound similar, or they might sound similar, to what we sometimes ask of God when God is at work trying to move us to a new place. A new place that is different from a place of survival. There's a blank right underneath that. And those of you that love to fill in blanks, you're itching to fill it in right now, but you're going to have to wait. We're going to come back to that other place that God wants to bring us to. Because to get there takes effort. And like many people, Gideon isn't ready to move there yet. I want to highlight three of those questions that he asks of God. Here's the first one. Maybe you've said this one before. Are you really there? Lord, are you really there? Because i got a lot of doubts about what's going on right now. This is verse 13. He says, Sir, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? And where are all the miracles our ancestors told us about? Didn't they say the Lord brought us up out of Egypt? Now the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to the Midianites. See, he doesn't even have any clue as to what's going on. How far have God's people fallen that they're not even aware of what's going on? He thinks that the Lord has abandoned them. That God has left me to suffer. Where is the Lord now, maybe you've asked that question. And what we really want God to do in this moment is to be that kind of loving father who just gently walks up to Gideon, pats him on his head and says, it's okay, I'm right here. But you know what? That's not what God does. God does not do that in this instance. See, sometimes when we're in that place of survival we want comfort. We want to experience all the feels and none of the pain, and survival becomes our norm, and it's comfortable, and we end up staying in that place, even if it's not the place that God wants us, because we understand it. God isn't having any of that in this case. It's actually a very surprising response. This is what he says, verse 14. Go with the strength you Go with the strength you have. Rescue Israel from the Midianites. What I am sending you. Go with the strength you have. Come with me. I'm sending you. You see, you already have this within you, Gideon. You just might not see it yet. See, somehow through the years, maybe it's just seven years of trying to survive, Gideon is convinced in some part that he has no strength. He's convinced that he is not who God says he is. God has already called him mighty warrior. He's convinced, no, there's no way. This is not me. What I like about this response of God is that God doesn't immediately... Comfort that wrong thought that he has. See, he doesn't believe in who he is right now. I have this thing, and you're wondering what this is. And I need some. I need some help. I need two people. And uh, I already talked to them before, and I told them be prepared because I'm going to call you up here. So Josiah, would you come up here? And would you hold this? Okay. All right. And I want you to walk over to that that just walk all the way over there. And Elena, yeah, you know you're coming up here too. And here you take this end. And I want you to walk over to that that side, okay? So that it's kind of like a a tight string. I don't know how long it is, but you can you can pull it a little tighter if you need to. All right? This is kind of this uh No, it's not, it's not, uh, I'm not going to go under it. My, my back would not, uh, would, th- that would not be a fun time. See, this is kind of the center point. This is really where God wants us. But this is often not the place that we spend a lot of time. You know, usually we're somewhere hanging out over here. Let's pretend that this is Gideon. See, Gideon is in this place over here. It's kind of a place of insecurity. This is a place where you don't believe that you are who God says you are. And maybe some of you are struggling over here, but you're, your friend or another person in your household, or maybe you at times are over on this side, and this might be a side of you're not so much insecure, but you're suffering from a little bit more of I'm all that, or I'm sort of arrogant in that I can get by on my own. And whether you're over here or over here, God wants to move us right into the center. And in the center is this place that he wants us. But to move from here to here or from here to here requires a lot of work. Now, if the center point is where, who God sees you and who God says you are, what's it going to take to move from here to here? How are you going to believe that you are who God says you are? Now, his word for you might not be mighty warrior, but it most certainly is something like child of God, dearly beloved. What are some of those other phrases that you know and have heard from the Bible about who God says you are? His child. So if this is where God wants us, Gideon's over here feeling all insecure. How does he start to move here? I heard this wonderful definition because to move from here to here, it's going to take a lot of humility. And the definition of humility that I heard was coming into agreement with who God says you are. That when we start to believe and come into agreement with who God says we are, we finally start to make the shift that is necessary to move to the place where God really, really wants us. What is that place? What is that place? The place where it's not over here where we feel like we have to please people, or it's not over here where we feel like we have to prove ourselves to people, it's neither of those places. It's this sweet spot that's in the center. What do you think that place might look like? I, I would offer it's this. It's a place of shalom. Shalom is that beautiful, beautiful world, world. Word in the Bible. Completeness. Wholeness. Rest. Peace. And it's the place that you can only get to by taking that step of humility to actually start to believe God in who he says you already are. He says this to Gideon, go with the strength you have. Go with the strength you have. All right, thanks. I think we get the idea now. Thank you guys so much. You can hear. Thank you. All right. Here, I'll just put it right here. This kind of looks like our uh, drawing of from here to there. Doesn't it? Yeah, it really does. This is a shift that moves us to that place when we start to agree with who God says we are. That instead of toiling in survival... God is actually bringing him and desires to bring him into a new place, that place of shalom. Gideon doesn't actually know what this place is or can be. And he's going to have to learn to adjust to God's reality, to what God says and to how God sees him. Shalom is that sweet spot of who you really are and what God has created you to do and be in this world. If we would believe God when he says, go with the strength you have, then I imagine him wanting to say to us, you know, if you believe this, we could really do something here together. But if you're going to stay here at the ends, no matter which end you tend to fall on, then we aren't going to be able to do very much together. This is the first thing that Gideon, the first question that Gideon offers to God. He's not there yet. Trust me, he has to offer two more, you know. I heard someone say one time that um, they imagined God up in heaven, having a conversation with the Spirit, and the Spirit says, see, we should have chosen a woman, because a woman in the Bible often never questions, you know, like if you're a young teenage girl, and the Spirit of God comes and says, says, guess what, you're going to bear the Savior of the world, And you might be a little confused and then you just say, oh, may it be to me as you have said. It doesn't take a whole bunch of questions. But in Gideon's case, it does. And for me, it has required times of questioning. And I would hazard that for many of you, it's also required times of questioning. Here's the second thing that he offers in verse 15. Can I really do this? Can I really do the thing that you've called me to do? Can I really go to where you are calling me to go? Can I really speak to those who you are calling me to speak to? Gideon offers this response I'm the weakest. I'm from the smallest tribe. We're not that special. I'm a nobody. Why are you talking to me? And I think that this is a question that is oh so familiar. I'm convinced that Gideon has heard this from somewhere before. That this is the inner monologue, the inner track that has been playing in his life repeatedly. Maybe his family has said it. Maybe his culture has said it. Maybe his friends have said it. You're not that great. You're weak. And it's been repeated so much that it's become familiar to him. Maybe you're familiar with that refrain that inner monologue that you have heard over and over through your life so much that you start to believe it's reality. We often struggle with this. When we hear God's voice telling us who we are and calling us to move to where he wants us to go, sometimes that other voice in our head starts to tell us things that aren't necessarily true. Our mind starts to play that, but I'm not game. I'm not qualified. I'm not gifted. I'm too young. I'm too old. And somewhere along the way, people of God, there will come a point where we have to shut down that track in our head and to hear the word of God that has already been spoken over your life. The word of God that he has promised in his word to you. The word that he has spoken before, you are mine, dearly beloved. I am able, therefore you are enabled. Because I am, so you can be as well. Maybe your word has slightly different variation. Can we start to hear the word that God has spoken over our life? That as you go with the strength you have, what does God also offer to Gideon? He says, I will be with you. So you don't have to be qualified. You don't have to be gifted. You don't have to be particularly good. But you're called. And God says, you're able. Go with the strength you have. I will be with you. I can tell there are people that aren't convinced. Can I really do this? You can because it says God will be with you. You already have it within you. And you're thinking, man, I'm not, still not sure. Gideon was that same way. So he actually asked a third question. How can I be sure? How can I be sure it's you, God. You see, Gideon, like many today, he's used to being self-sufficient. He's had to survive for all these years. He hasn't even really needed God. He wasn't aware he needed God up to this point. And he's thinking, well, God abandoned us anyway, so I better go make hay while the sun shines. i got to do something. And he needs a sign. And whenever we read about somebody wanting a sign, sometimes we're excited about that, we want to read on, and other times we're like, shouldn't he have gotten it by now? but i think that gideon is like us in many ways i think deep down he really wants to know who god is to begin to trust him and so he prepares this offering he prepares this offering and as he prepares this offering let me read the verses verse 17 through 19 it's it's a beautiful beautiful picture Gideon replied, if you are truly going to help me, show me a sign to prove that it is really the Lord speaking to me. Don't go away until I come back and bring my offering to you. The Lord answered, I will stay here until you return. So Gideon hurried home. He cooked a young goat and with a basket of flour, he baked some bread without yeast. Then carrying the meat in a basket and the broth in a pot, he brought them out and presented them to the angel who was under the great tree. And the Lord's response to how can I be sure it's you? The Lord basically says, This, let me show you. Let me show you. Let me do what only I can do. You want to be sure that it's me? I'm going to do something that no one else can do, that you've never seen before. And what happens? It says that the staff that the messenger of the Lord was carrying touched that rock. And it says that fire shot up from the rock and consumed the entire offering. This is not your campfire in the backyard, this is not your waving a little match around. This is not even a tiny little bit of flame. This is the fire of God springing up from the rock, which is weird, and consuming everything that Gideon offered. I don't know about you, but if that were to happen, I would not need any more convincing. Would you need more convincing? No. In fact, I would probably be terrified. And Gideon is terrified as well. And it has his attention. Now, do you remember what happens when, in the Old Testament, people became aware that they were suddenly in the presence of God? See, they would get scared. And they would start to think, oh, no. I remember what the, my ancestors said, that none may stand in the presence of God and live. And this is exactly what happens to Gideon. He starts to feel afraid. And he's afraid to act on what God wants. And at that moment, he was sure that he was a dead man walking. And that's why our passage today ends with the Lord's words to Gideon. Peace. Do not be afraid. You are not going to die. That's in verse 23. And after Gideon becomes afraid and God reassures him, this is the place where we start to finally see him start to move. To that new place God is bringing him. Let me read verse 24. This is the last verse for today. Gideon built an altar to the Lord there, and he named it Yahweh Shalom, which means the Lord is peace. The altar remains in Ophrah in the land of the clan of Abiezer to this day. Yahweh Shalom. He builds an altar to the God of peace, the God of wholeness, completeness. It's a place where he begins to actually see himself as God sees him, where he begins to see God for who God is. And he starts to believe what God has said and spoken over his life. Mighty warrior, go with the strength you have. I am with you. This place of shalom is that center point, that that place where we will probably be the most effective we've ever been in our life. But we get used to camping out on the other ends. You know, the places that we know a little bit better. Friends, I want to assure you, or reassure you, that God at this moment is making and transforming you more into what you think you can be like getting in all that the Lord is calling you to, in all that the Lord wants you to be and do in this world, you are indeed capable because God is already making you more than enough. You are able, and perhaps you're having trouble believing that this morning. One of the things that Pastor Amy said last week really struck a chord with me. She ended with that question, what if God is able? And so one of the things I did is I put this little short list. This is, this is not comprehensive. And it has a list of scriptures on here. And for someone in the room this morning, you might know that God is able, but perhaps you don't think that you are able. And on this list, there might be one word for you this morning I hope that all of these are words for you they're all good words but maybe there's a word on here that you need to specifically hear I want you to know deep down that God is able and not that just God is able but that he has enabled you he has enabled you to go where he calls you may not feel like you're very close to that place of shalom in your life. But God is able. And he's able to bring you to that place. He's already said and spoken amazing words over your life. And now it's gonna take our cooperation with him. So let me pray for you this morning. I hope that there's at least a verse on there that you find helpful and good and true. God, will you receive our hearts? Help us to know that yes, you are able and that you have enabled us. Help us to go with the strength that you have given us already. Help us to believe those words that you are the one sending us that you are sending us out into the world as salt and light, into our homes, into the places we work, to our families, to our friends, to our schools, to our coworkers, to the places that we stand in line, or to the person in the seat next to us. God, help us to receive your word, to not be afraid, for your place of shalom is waiting, and it is ready and prepared for us. We pray this expectantly in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. The last verse on that list that I gave you is our benediction today. And it is true that God will direct your path. Receive this church to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ, our Lord, before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. Church, go in peace to love and serve the Lord. Amen.